Hey, we're in Matthew chapter 13. Let's pray as we come to God's word, all right? Lord Jesus, we just come before you this morning. We're, we're just hungry to hear from you, to learn from you. And uh, God, we're going to bite off a big chunk this morning. going to fly over here. And so we just ask that your spirit would speak to our hearts, that you would help us to have a sense of your kingdom work in this world. Your, your kingdom is always at work, Jesus. You are always at work. Your spirit is at work on the face of this earth. You've, you've planted your church here as salt and light. And so, God, we want to have greater understanding of the ways in which your kingdom functions and how it works and what you are doing. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us this morning, that you'd give us spiritual insight, that you'd give us understanding that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Last Sunday, we, uh, we left off in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, we saw the conflicts that Jesus was having with the religious leaders. In fact, three specific conflicts in regards to the Sabbath and, and healing on the Sabbath, in regards to um, their resistance of him and the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and their demand uh, for a sign. And... As we come to Matthew chapter 13, we're going to start to see a bit of a marked change in, really it starts after this chapter, but this is a significant chapter in the gospel story. And wh what happens here is that we're going to read that that very day that this last conflict happens, Jesus makes his way to the Sea of Galilee. And there he begins to tell seven parables that tell about the function and the nature and the mystery of the kingdom of God. And so this morning, what I want to do, this is a lot, but what we're going to do is go right over the whole chapter of Matthew chapter 13 and take a peek, a quick peek at each of these seven parables and the mystery they tell us about the kingdom of God, okay? The first four parables we're going to see are told uh, to the crowd from the Sea of Galilee. The last three parables will be told by Jesus in a house I think in Capernaum, likely Peter's house. And so let's check it out. In verse 1, it says this, That same day, same day of the, as the conflict with the Pharisees, Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered to him and he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. I'm sure you can get the, the picture in your head. To me, I always think of, this is like a Sunday school story for me. Where uh, Jesus... Uh, goes off the beach a little bit on that boat and, and just sat in the boat and began to teach the crowds. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was called the Prince of Preachers, used to teach this when he taught at his seminaries and he would say this, for preachers to be effective in the pulpit, they need to weigh at least 250 pounds so that they can properly project their voice. And so, you know, Spurgeon, when you, when you see drawings of him, picture, he was a man of uh, sizable girth, I guess might be the word. Thankfully, now we have sound systems, and I'm going to try not to reach 250 pounds ever. But uh, I prefer Jesus' technique, definitely here. He's sitting in the boat. Jesus used, used the water as an amplifier. I w it reminded me, as I was thinking of this, on the CCAV weekend on Friday night, we had a uh, youth church was happening here, where all the local youth groups get together, and there's a group that comes over from the city to, to help them out. And I went over out onto my deck on Friday night across the harbor here, and I thought, that sounds familiar. And all of a sudden, I realized what I was hearing was the worship coming out of CTK right across the water, and I could hear it 
up on my deck, and I got a little bit nervous about how loud the youth had the sound system cranked up. The, that's just a lead pastor thing. But no, I got, I got to say, it was pretty, pretty awesome. And we know how the water just amplifies. And so Jesus is sitting here in the boat, speaking across the water, amplifying his voice to the crowd. And verse 3 says, And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. The birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them, and other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. The moment Jesus opened his mouth uh, from that boat on the Sea of Galilee, speaking to the crowd, there was something evidently different about his ministry, according to Matthew's gospel. And it's the nature of his teaching, because from this point on, it changed. He began to speak in parables. He began to tell parables, and, and we'll see... In these seven parables that Matthew records from chapter 13 here, that Jesus is going to tell about, about the course of the gospel in the world and how the gospel is going to go out. And this was a significant change in his ministry. And, and it follows this conflict that he's had with the religious elite. And really it's because of the rejection of Israel and the rejection of his kingship. I mean, if the people of Israel would have simply received him as king, the blessings of the kingdom would have flown out of Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And all the world would have been blessed. But instead they rejected him. And in response, Jesus is is going to essentially institute a new program. And we're going to see this throughout. We're going to start to find out more about the church as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. And I, I think the picture of Jesus in the boat and the, the crowd on the shore is not just simply about amplifying his voice, but it's, you know, the, the seas in Scripture are always a picture of the nations. And I, I see Jesus getting out in the boat and, and it's almost a picture of the fact that he is going to go to all the nations. His message is going to go to all the nations. And so this first parable, the parable of the sower tells us the story of the casting of seed over widespread area. Some falls in an area of good soil, other lands on hard soils, some others land in an area where it's hard and the birds can snatch it up. Some lands in spots where the soil is shallow and where the plant that springs up is scorched by the sun's heat and still others land in areas where the thorns choke it out. And so Jesus tells this story and he says, he who has ears, let him hear. And he's going to explain this later on. So we're going to read on here. It says in verse 10, then the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? This is new. And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For, the, for to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an, an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. In other words, Jesus says this, The, the one who hears and who responds to the message is going to be given further insight. And the ones who don't respond, 
Even the little bit of understanding that they do have is going to be taken away from them. Verse 13, Jesus continues. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. Jesus, as he begins to explain his use of parables to the disciples, quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and, and 10. This was a prophecy that Isaiah gave 700 years earlier. It was a prophecy, a word from God that he spoke to the northern kingdom of Israel. And essentially, this message from Isaiah sealed the doom of the northern kingdom. Uh, at, at, after this message that Isaiah proclaimed, what God did was he handed the nation over to the Assyrians, and they were taken captive, and they were deported from their land. And Jesus quotes the same verse, and essentially what he is doing here is this, is that he is again handing Israel, Israel over because of their rejection of him. He spoke to a people whose hearts were hardened, whose hearing was dull, and whose eyes were closed. They didn't respond 700 years earlier when God sent Isaiah to warn them, and now they won't listen to Jesus either. You know, uh, this past week, I, Eli and I said, hey, he said, let's watch a movie. And so I, we, we clicked on Netflix and I started searching around and there was this new one up and it was called, uh, it was a documentary uh, called Hitler's Olympics. And I, I thought, oh, well, just while he's distracted, maybe I'll start watching this thing. And it turned out to be a, a great uh, documentary about the 1936 Summer Games in Berlin. And it was about how Hitler took advantage of the Olympics and he turned it into a propaganda machine for the Nazis. Really uh, cool. And you watch this old footage of Hitler and the way that he would speak and uh, the, the, the crowds were mesmerized by his speeches and it seems like they were eating out of the palm of their hand. But what we actually see from Jesus is very different than those tactics that Hitler used. He's not going to force himself on on those who reject him. You know, the nation of Israel and the people to whom Jesus had been proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is at hand had all the evidence they needed to make an informed decision about him. You know, they wanted to listen to him. They wanted to have their ears tickled by him, but they did not want to hear. You know, in scripture, listening and hearing are two very different things. And so Jesus began to speak in parables so that those who only wanted to listen could just listen. And those who wanted to really hear what he was saying could dig in and, and press in and look into the things what he was saying and then, then act on them and respond to what they heard. And so Jesus says this in verse 16 to his disciples. He says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear, for truly I say to you, many prophets, prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. See, compared to Israel as a nation who was unbelieving, 
The disciples were blessed because they had eyes that wanted to see. They had ears that wanted to hear. And they were blessed because they were seeing things coming to pass that the prophets had longed to see and that the prophets were confused about, actually. This is where these parables are very interesting because Jesus is wanting those who are willing to dig into what he says to understand the things that the prophets were confused about. And so Jesus explains the parable of the sower, verse 18. Here then is the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. And so in this explanation, boy, we could just go deep here. But as, as I said, today we're going to do a flyover. The seed is the word of God, Jesus tells his disciple. And the seed of God's word lands on four types of soil. And Jesus tells us that the soil represents different types of hearts that people have. The first soil is hard. It's a trampled down path. It's compacted. Hard enough that the seed can't penetrate into the soil. It can't, it can't get root. And so it stays on the surface. And so what happens? The birds of the air swoop down and they eat the seed. Now in scripture, in parables, the, the birds always represent evil. They represent the evil one who wants to come and steal the word of God. And so that's the first soil. One word that's hard. A heart that is hard. And the word of God is stolen from it. The second soil is on rocky ground. So it's shallow. There's not much dirt there. And so the condition of the soil allows the seed to sprout quickly. But the problem is that those conditions mean that the roots can't really get established. It's just it's surface. And so when the sun comes out, the heat gets turned up, persecution comes, Jesus says, and this plant gets scorched in the heat and it dies. You know, sometimes people are very quick to respond to the gospel. It's good to respond to the gospel quickly, but it's also good to take these things and to consider them and to weigh the things that Jesus says. And some people are quick to respond to the gospel, they can get caught up in the hype. They can get caught up in the emotion. And Jesus warns sometimes when tribulation comes, when persecution comes because of the word of God, when they get offended at church or get offended by someone or something happens, whatever it is, because they don't have depth, that heat scorches and the plant dies and withers up. The third soil that Jesus talks about is thorny. So the seed springs up, but the thorns choke it out. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. You've probably seen this happen, you know, over your years, if you've been following the Lord for many years or something, where, you know, someone's excited about the Lord, they're involved in their church, they're involved in 
home group, they're serving, plugged into, you know, different areas, and then God just begins to bless them, maybe bless them financially, their business succeeds, or they get distracted by whatever it is, and this world begins to take more and more hold of them and the things of this world, and it grows in their lives, and as time goes, the, you know, they stop serving, they stop going to small group, they barely start, you know, showing up to church and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches just begin to choke out the word of God in their lives. The last soil is good soil. The seed falls on this ground and it grows and it begins to produce. And, and Jesus says it produces fruit and it produces it at different rates, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. I mean, a hundredfold, that is so fruitful. You know, the, you know what the statistic is on ste- seed? It's this, that seed general, the general farming rule is one seed equals eight, one to eight. And so uh, what, we, what we read here, so, you know, even 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, 30-fold is miraculous fruit, the kingdom of God at work. And so the sowing of seed seems to represent the the constant sowing of the gospel, that the gospel is being proclaimed, the gospel is being made known, it's going around the world, and the different soils show the different types of hearts that people have, the different ways that people respond to the message of Jesus. And it's a helpful parable because it, it it helps you when you're wanting to serve the Lord and sow the seed of the word to, you know, Realize what can be expected. That sometimes the seed is going to land on hard soil. Sometimes the seed is going to be choked out by thorns. Sometimes the, the seed's going to spring up quickly and the sun is going to scorch it. And what it tells me is this just sow the seed. Just sow the seed. You can't control the 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 soil. We don't know the condition of people's hearts. And so we sow the seed. But personally, I think this, I can know the condition of my own heart. I can know the condition of my own heart. And so we need soft hearts to the seed of God's word. And so this first parable just tells us about the going out of the gospel all around the world. Verse 24 says this, he told them another parable saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Similar parable to the first one in a sense. It's uh, farming. It's the sowing of seed. And in this one, an enemy sneaks into the field under the cover of darkness and sows weeds amongst the good seed. Other versions, uh, maybe if you got a different version, a King James or New King James or another one calls it tares. 
the weeds tears. Tears is an in, inedible, inedible plant. When it, when it sprouts up, it's difficult to tell it apart from weed, actually. When it comes up out of the ground, it looks very similar to wheat. All through uh, the growth period, and you, you can't tell it apart. And so here's these weeds. They, they come up, they take up space, they steal nutrients, they produce nothing, and you can't identify them until finally the grain comes to fruition at harvest time. Then you can go, oh, that's tares and that's wheat. Jesus is going to explain this one further, so we'll keep cruising. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. Birds of the air come and make their nests in its branches. So Jesus now continues here in his explanation of what the kingdom of heaven is like. If we back up for a moment here, let's just recall where he's going because you got to stay on track with Jesus and what the theme and the context is. If we back up, he talks about the sower sowing seed and it landing on good soil and different types of soil and producing fruit or not. Then he talked about a field where there are weeds that were deceptively sown in amongst the wheat. And now Jesus likens the kingdom of God to one of the smallest seeds, a mustard seed. Mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds, but Jesus says this, it's planted and it becomes a large plant. And in his parable, in fact, the mustard seed grows and it becomes a large tree. And you know what? I read that and I think that's amazing, don't you? That, that is an amazing thing. I think, wow, that is amazing growth. This little tiny seed is going to become this massive tree. But Jesus' point is actually this. Not that this is amazing growth, but that this is unnatural growth. That this is not normal. And this is important to this parable. You see, mustard seeds do not grow into a tree. You know, I had the privilege, just, we were in Israel in March, and the mustard was in blossom all over the place. And so, you know, Almost every day somewhere, I was picking mustard and just chewing on it because I just thought, wow, this is cool and unique and we're in the Holy Land. And the thing about mustard seed is this, is that it actually doesn't grow into a tree. And so in this parable, this little seed, it's a herb. It's a shrub. It's a little tiny plant. And so in this parable, this little seed grows unnaturally it grows abnormally until it's so big that the birds are roosting in its branches. Jesus doesn't explain the parable. He's going to go on. He's just going to tell another one. You know, when you read about this parable and over the years, I've heard lots of things about it. I'm sure that you have lots of people say this, that this is, a, this is an amazing parable about the growth of the kingdom, that it's, it's amazing, this little seed and it becomes, becomes a tree and... The birds roost in it. But again, the thing is, mustard seeds don't grow to become a tree. And they don't grow large enough for birds to nest in them. See, throughout the Bible, birds, like in our first parable, are a picture of what? Evil. Demonic spirits. Satan coming and stealing. And this is why I believe that what Jesus is saying here about the kingdom of God is actually not a positive thing. He's saying that the kingdom will grow abnormally into something that it was never, ever intended to be. And evil will come 
And evil will make its home amongst that which is abnormal in regards to the kingdom. You know, you think about Christendom for a moment. It's a worldwide power. I mean, nations tremble at, Christian, at the Christian vote. You know, parts of it are extremely complex organizations. I think about the Catholic Church, for instance. The land, the property, the power, the confusion. I, I think I, I heard the number is over 80,000 different denominations in the world. Do you think Jesus ever meant for that to be that way? For his kingdom to become that? 80,000 different denominations. I mean, it's not all bad, but when we think about Jesus, what started out with such humble beginnings and so uncomplicated as he just simply preached the message of the kingdom grew to be a system in our world that is powerful, that has, you know, material possessions that are beyond accounting. You know, some of it is got powerful political influence. And in this parable, but what Jesus is talking about is the kingdom becoming bureaucratic, losing its simplicity, becoming too big organizationally. You know, ministries have the tendency to do that. Churches sometimes have the tendency to do it. Denominations have the tendency to do that as they grow. You know, when I was in Bible school way back when, they told us, in the denomination that I was in, the life cycle of a denomination is 70 years. 70 years, and then things start unraveling. And in that denomination, we were at that point. And so they said, man, we, we've got we've to watch for this. See, as Jesus talks about this, the, the Bible actually teaches that in the last days, as the last days encroach upon us, that... that as they grow closer, if there is anything that will be apparent in the earth, actually, it will be the decrease in the ministry of the gospel as the end draws near. See, men will be lovers of themselves. They will not listen to sound doctrine, Paul told Timothy. And so this parable tells and gives warning about the outward organization that is only good for the birds. You know, I think this year... Something devastating happened. It, it devastating happened with Gospel for Asia. You know, their, their ministry, there was financial problems. There was this and there was that. And it hit the news. And here this ministry that started out with such beautiful roots and, and just helping uh, nationals plant churches and do this work. And it, and it grew till it became a, a monster. And the birds got in there and brought... So much damage. And so this parable tells the, about the outward organization that's only good for the birds. Then Jesus tells another parable, the fourth parable. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. Now again, you know, this sounds miraculous except you know, this working of the leaven, how it just permeates everything. And often the teaching on this parable is that's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is just going to permeate the whole world until Jesus comes. But nowhere in scripture, when leaven is mentioned, is it ever a good thing? Nowhere. And so this can't, you know, go against the other 97 instances where leaven is spoken of as evil. 
And so as Jesus speaks of this leaven, it has to be in relation to evil. And I've come to conclude that I, that I don't agree with those who say that this represents the mysterious, beautiful growth of the kingdom of God that will permeate everything. No, the Bible says leaven puffs up. It speaks of evil. Jesus warned, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. Watch out for the internal leaven that is hidden in the bread. See, this parable is really speaking, illustrating the inward development of false doctrine. The inward development within the kingdom of God of false living. Leaven is a picture of hypocrisy, of false teaching, of compromise, of carnality, of false doctrine. The simplicity, that was never the intention for the kingdom. You know, a couple years ago, we were down uh, at our pastor's conference and there were some guys uh, there speaking, um, Christian science guys, and they were just, you know, they're so passionate about Genesis and about the interpretation of the scripture. And uh, I just stunned the more they talked because they talked about how so many seminaries in North America that were once good Bible training centers have come to the point in place where they only play, pay lip service to the literal interpretation of the scriptures. They only play, pay lip service to the doctrine of inerrancy of the scriptures. Most have drifted. They've drifted on their interpretation of certain scriptures. They've drifted on their interpretation of the Genesis account. You know, I think about the church today and some of the things that we're seeing within our culture. There are very simple issues that the Bible calls sinful. And there are people within the context of the church saying, no, we're unsure about that. We don't know what the Bible says when the word of God declares it very clearly. Satan is working very hard to introduce false teaching and false living and false doctrine and hypocrisy into the ministry of the word of God. From the early days of the church, the church has always been battling these things. And this parable that Jesus tells about the leaven making its way through the, the flour is about the internal deception that will sneak and make its way in. And I think, well, well then what is the safeguard? What keeps the church safe? And it's this, my friends, the word of God. Not departing from the truth of the scriptures. Stay in the word. You know, I would tell you, don't count on the preacher. Don't count on the pastor for your food. You have to get in and learn to feed yourself from the word of God and know the scripture and grow your appetite and your hunger for the word of God. Grow in your skill and the handling of the word of God. Because in these days, the leaven is moving through the kingdom. All these things, verse 34, Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and he went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. When the crowd was gone, Jesus said to his, the disciples said to Jesus, explain the parable to us. And I just think this is a great thing for us to do, for you and I. You know, sometimes we don't know. What does the word of God say? Say, God, 
Would you by your spirit please explain this to me? Bring insight. Shine light on your word, Lord Jesus, so that I understand. You know, sometimes even at church, we can come to church and we can just walk away and say, wow, wasn't that great? You know, now what? You know, I would say go home with the word of God and test the things that are taught here against what you read in the scripture. Go home and ask the Lord to speak to you further about these things. You know, if you're listening to a podcast, you know, you're listening to some teaching on the radio or Sunday morning, ask the Holy Spirit for greater clarity and insight on the things that are taught. God, what's in this that you want me to learn? And so the disciples asked Jesus, explain this to us. And so verse 37, he answered, the one who sows the good seed, totally going to explain this parable. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. That's me, Jesus, he's saying. The field is the world. So the field's different in this one. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the evil one who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. You know, Satan can't uproot a Christian. He can't uproot genuine grain that the Lord has planted. And so what does he do? He sows the false in amongst the genuine. And Jesus tells us in this, this parable that the good seeds represent sons of the kingdom. And in this parable, the field is not human hearts, like in the first parable, the field is the entire world. See, wherever you go, God is growing. He is sowing believers into his kingdom, sowing in true Christians. And wherever that is happening, Satan is working alongside and he is sowing in the false. And the thing is, is that you often can't, you know, tell the truth from the false. You know, they go to church, they tithe, they go to small group, they speak and say the right things, whatever it is. But Jesus says at the end of the age, God will come and he will separate, he will send his angels and they will separate the true from the false. And so I would say this, as we hear this, what do we do? Well, I think we need to beware of the false. But the parable tells us our job is actually not to pull up the false. What's our job to, to help make sure that we're planting what is true, that we're part of what is true? You know, I, I, I think about that. I, I, I'm not in any way demeaning church discipline. I believe that, that the leaders of the church are called to identify wolves and to bring discipline, to identify those who are in sheep's clothing and to deal with such things. That's one of the responsibilities of church leadership. But as I read this, I mean, we're not detectives, we're evangelists. We spread the seed of God's word. We sow the word of God and we must bear fruit where God has planted us. And so at the end of the age, God will take care of that which is difficult for you and I. He'll separate the true and the false. He will send his angels and they will do so. And this is when Jesus begins to tell in the house three more parables in the privacy of the home with just his disciples there. He says this, the kingdom of heaven 
is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, as we read this, you know, the common interpretation of this parable is that, you know, the sinner finds Christ. Jesus is the treasure. And so when you find Jesus, you, you go and you do everything that you can. You sell all that you have so that you can gain Jesus. Here's the problem with that. You can't buy Jesus. You cannot earn the kingdom. You can't purchase that which God gives as a gift. And so it's helpful to consider this parable in the whole context of this kingdom theme that is just shrouded right over Matthew's gospel. You can't purchase salvation. And actually, I would say this, not only that, Jesus isn't a hidden treasure. You know, there's nobody more famous in the history of the whole world than King Jesus. So let's consider this. There's a treasure hidden in a field. The field from the previous explanation represents the world. And the treasure I actually believe is this. Jesus is explaining how the kingdom is going to function. The treasure is the nation of Israel. Israel throughout the scripture is called God's treasured possession. In fact, the Lord spoke to Moses in Exodus chapter 19 verse 5 and he said this. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among the peoples. For all the earth is mine. That almost sounds exactly like this parable. All the earth belongs to the Lord. There's a treasure in the midst of it. And this is what Jesus says here. The field is the world. And so who bought the field? Come on, church. Who bought the field? Jesus. Jesus is the man who buys the field. The treasure is the nation of Israel. Israel as a nation was placed into this world, pulled or, or selected out of this world, I guess maybe. The word is the word to bring glory to God. That was their role, to be a light amongst the nations. But it failed. It became a nation that was hidden. It was supposed to shine, but it became hidden. And Jesus gave his all on the cross, not just to purchase the treasure, but the whole world, and he'd get the treasure as well. He'd get the treasure as well. He'd get the whole world, and he'd get the treasure. See, Jesus is beginning to explain to his disciples how the kingdom is morphing in front of their eyes. They thought it was just about Israel. But Israel has rejected him. And so Jesus is explaining, no, there's a treasure. I'm going to get the treasure, but I'm going to get the whole field as well. See, God loves the whole world. And Israel who rejected him still holds a special place in his plan. They are still his treasured possession. That means this, there's a future for the nation of Israel. That's why it's exciting that there's a physical nation called Israel, 1948, you know the whole story, 1900 years without a physical nation called Israel. It's telling us that we are in the last days. Yeah, you know, they're not everything that they're supposed to be. They are not what they should be spiritually, but they are God's treasure. They are God's treasure, and one day he will establish his kingdom with them. And it'll be a glorious kingdom. Verse 45, Jesus says, 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Again, I would say this, you and I are not the merchant in this story. We're, we're not the ones who go and sell everything that we have to get the kingdom because you can't buy the kingdom. The kingdom is given by the grace of the Lord Jesus. So again, the merchant who purchased the pearls is Jesus. See, the time, this time, rather than going to the field, where does the merchant go to purchase a pearl? Pearls come from oysters. Pearls come from the sea. And in the scripture, the sea is symbolic of the nations of the earth. And so the merchant is going to go into the nations of the earth and he is going to search for one precious pearl. And the pearl is the church. This is the church. And the church is made up of those who believe in Jesus, believing, believing Jews, believing Gentiles. You know, you think about a pearl, where they come from. It's, it's oysters. You know, an irritating little piece of sand gets in there. And so the, the oyster just begins to layer, I don't know what it is, like calcium or something, some mucus over this grain of sand. And they say it takes about seven years for a pearl to form. And the oyster just works and it, and it takes this thing that's an irritant in its life and it turns it into something that is beautiful and something that is precious and something that is valuable. I, I think about maybe how Israel even thought of the Gentile nations of the world. So they're an irritant in our lives. God says, no, I'm going I'm to pull a pearl out of there that's going to blow your minds. One of great worth. See, I'll tell you this. You, church, are the pearl of great price. You are the pearl of great price. Christ died for you. He gave everything to purchase you. And, you know, one of the things about a, a pearl is that you, you can't, you know, it's happening. You can't really see it going on. You can't see the pearl being formed in fashion. And, and I think about the church. You know, you, you can't see in a lot of ways how God is working in the midst of his church. You can't see in a lot of ways how the, the church is influencing around the world. It's working, it's growing, it's among the nations, it's developing. And Christ is clothed, just like that piece of sand is, is clothed and turned into something beautiful. What is it? Christ has clothed us in his righteousness. We are the righteousness of Jesus. And, and I love that there's just one pearl here in this story. He's, not, he's in search of many pearls, but he finds one of great value. It's a great picture of the church, not 80,000 denominations. One church, one pearl that Jesus has purchased and he bought with his blood. So we learn that Israel is a treasured possession, yet God is going to go by the whole field, the whole world, purchase the whole earth. In a sense, he's, he's going to leave that treasure as a, a hidden in the field while he goes and search of the pearl of great value. And while Israel remains hidden, we, we see that Christ is building his church. Verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore, sat down and sorted the good containers, but threw, out, threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come 
and they will separate the evil one, the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The preaching of the gospel is like this net that's being cast over the entire world. It's a great, great picture that Jesus paints here in this parable. It's like a huge net that is gathering all types of fish. There's good fish, there's bad fish. And in the professing church and those whom over the gospel is tossed over, we know that there, there are those who are true and there are those who are false. And at the end of the age, Jesus says this, God will send his angels, again, similar to this previous parable about the weeds and he will separate the true from the false, the good from the bad. And when Jesus returns, actually when Jesus returns at his second coming at the end of the great tribulation at the battle of Armageddon, the church is already removed from the earth. The pearl is out of the earth. There'll be no church on the earth. Of those on the earth at that time, Jesus will separate those who believe and those who are unbelievers. And these are people who are not part of Israel and they're not part of the church that has been raptured. See, in these parables, Jesus is giving insight into the whole realm and reach of his kingdom. The saved will enter the kingdom and Jesus says the bad will be thrown into the fiery furnace. And in this parable, in the parable of the weeds, Jesus is telling us about the very end of the age. And, and that is the time when he comes again. So he's not talking about his church. In fact, as he tells this parable, the disciples actually don't know what the church is. They haven't heard that word. They've only heard pearl of great price. That's all they've heard so far. And so Jesus is referring to this time at the end of the great tribulation. In verse 51, he says something interesting to his disciples. And we're going to wrap up right here. Have you understood all these things? How many of you go, yeah, I understand them all. Oh, yeah, Matt, they're so clear now that you've uh, taught them. Have you understood all these things, Jesus said to them? And they answered him, yes. The disciples got these parables. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. See, Jesus said to his disciples this, if you understand these things that I'm speaking about in these parables, you're going to be like a man who has old antiques and he's got new toys. You're going to be able to use the old antiques and you're going to be able to pull out the new toys and play with them. And so Jesus is saying, if you understand these parables, then... You actually understand what I was doing in the past and what I'm going to do in the future. If you understand these parables, then you'll understand the nature of the kingdom in the past and the nature of the kingdom in the future. You can study the Old Testament and get blessed. You can look at the New Testament and get blessed. You can put the two together and see how God is working his story out over the history of the ages. You can look at history and marvel at God's continuity throughout the ages. You can learn from the old. And if you understand these parables, Jesus is saying to these guys, then you'll understand what God is going to do in the last days as well. You know, when he talks about scribes, you know, throughout, throughout the, uh, 
the gospel accounts, we always see the scribes as like bad dudes because they're in with the Pharisees. But the original scribes, the very first scribes, the men who first called themselves uh, these scribes were men like Ezra and the generation of Nehemiah who was, was with Ezra and helped leading. They were, they were among the original scribes. They were men who brought Jews back to Jerusalem. Uh, they were men who taught the word of God. I mean, you read the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. They were days of revival for their nation. They rebuilt the city of the wall. They rebuilt protections that needed to be put in place. They rebuilt the temple. The original scribes were great teachers of truth. The problem was, by the time it got to the time of Jesus, they had turned into a bunch of Pharisees who were just worried about their traditions. And so as Jesus tells these parables to his disciples, and he says, have you understood these things? And they say, yes. Then he says this, you should be like scribes. You should be like scribes and learn to draw from the old and learn to draw from the new. In fact, the one who receives both will be a rich man. We'll just read to the end of the chapter. When Jesus finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom from in these mighty works? Is, this, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judah, Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many works, many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Rejection. Rejection right from his own people. You know, I just wrap up here this morning and I, and I think about application for us from these scriptures. I think it's really simple. It's really simple. We need to have hearts that have good soil for the word of God. We need God to come and search our hearts and to tear out the thorns, the deceitfulness of riches and the trappings of this world from us. We need Jesus to come and to plow up the hard soil and to remove the stoniness of our heart. We need Jesus to bring depth into our lives so that his word takes root in us. Church, in these last days that Jesus speaks of in these parables, that which survives is good soil where the word has taken root. May our hearts be that.